Welcome to Breast Friends Cancer Support Radio. Your hosts are Becky Olson and Sharon Hennepin. Our show is here to help breast cancer patients, survivors, their friends and family with the resources, support, and inspiration they can use right now. Here are your hosts, Sharon and Becky. Well, hello and welcome to Breast Friends Cancer Support Radio. My name is Becky Olson. I'm a three-time, 21-year survivor of advanced stage breast cancer. I'm also a motivational speaker and the published author of The Hat That Saved My Life. Sharon is actually in New York um, right now, so she's not going to be on the call with us today. But she and I are both the co-founders of Breast Friends. And I wanted to just congratulate Voice America, because some of you may have missed us on the air last week. And what happened was they had a monsoon down in Phoenix, and it apparently rained all over the control um, room and all of their equipment was damaged. So they had to take us all off the air on Friday. Um, but the really amazing thing is that happened Thursday night and by Saturday they had all the equipment replaced and they were back online so I got to give you hats off because that's a pretty pretty amazing feat. So congratulations, Voice America, and thanks for the a job well done. And before we get started, I had a really weird experience um, this week that I wanted to share with you. I went down the Facebook rabbit hole. <laughs> Somehow I got sucked into an online debate over a subject you know that I care really deeply about. A question was posed on this person's website. She tends to pose questions and then asks you for a yes or no answer. And the question was, is there a natural cure for cancer? Yes or no? Some answered with a yes, some said no, but those of us in the industry, we know the answer is not that simple. Some were actually willing to make a a narrative out of their answer, and, and I was one of those. And as I shared my take on it, people continued to respond to this yes or no question. Now, I can handle differing opinions, and actually they can be kind of fun to debate. But when the comments turn ugly, that's when I have a problem. One person said, and and I am paraphrasing because I don't remember exactly what it was, but basically she said, just get rid of the guilt and shame in your life and your cancer will go away. Well, I have to ask this question. When a child child gets cancer, how much guilt and shame can a four-year-old be holding on to? So that just seemed completely bogus to me. And another person threw the entire oncology business under the bus, claiming that most of them prescribe the drugs they make the most money on, and some even diagnose cancer falsely just so they can get rich off the drugs. Well, you can imagine I was pretty mad by then. The oncologists that I know are deeply caring members of the medical community, and I have fought cancer three times, and never have I ever felt that any of my doctors had anything but my best interest at heart. The point of this message is not to protest ignorance, but rather to remind us of a few things. First off, Facebook and other social media can be a tremendous time waster. I spent an entire day reading either reading stupid remarks, responding to stupid remarks, or fuming over stupid remarks. The negativity that comes with such a day is really hard to deny. I had so much more to do, and it ruined my opportunity for a successful day. I was stressed. I was really mad at myself for spending my day like that, but I was even more stressed and mad at the stuff I let slide. And finally, and probably most importantly, we need to be careful of the things we say to people. I'm sure that most of the responders to that yes or no question didn't set out to hurt anyone, but if someone newly diagnosed with cancer was reading the same dialogue, they may have made some very bad decisions based on irresponsible comments. If they follow that advice and end up reducing their chance to survive, who's responsible? Cancer is stressful enough, and a new patient doesn't need to be barraged with all the negative crap that they're reading on the internet. Well, I did finally let it go. My last remark in the battle with the oncologist hater was, I'm done with this conversation, have a nice life. And then I unsubscribed from this particular Facebook site where the question was initiated, and I will never follow that site again. As a motivational speaker, I have a presentation on creating a legacy. You create your legacy one tiny moment at a time. When you lose a day like I did in the craziness of of social media, You lose a lot more than that. You lose the opportunity that day for joy, happiness, and fulfillment. And I 
thanks for, I have to get off my soapbox now because we have a show to get onto, but I want to thank you for listening. And with that, our guest today doesn't have enough time to sit around doing nothing. He is creating a wonderful legacy. Our guest, Dennis Golden, is the CEO and founder of PCA Aware, the National Prostate Cancer Awareness Foundation. He's a prostate cancer survivor and passionate speaker. And we, you know, we all know when, when we first started talking to Dennis, I couldn't, I wasn't quite making the connection here, but because we all know that prostate cancer is exclusively a man's disease. That's kind of a duh, right? <laughs> However, we were very surprised to discover, and I think you will be too, that breast cancer and prostate cancer have a lot in common. In fact, prostate cancer in a male member of your family can be an early warning sign that you or other family members may be highly predisposed to developing breast cancer. Dennis will share with us today what we need to know about men, prostates, and the impact this male gland can have on women's health, your sex life, and financial future. Welcome, Dennis, and thanks for your patience as I went through my little spiel about my horrible week, <laughs> horrible day, actually. So we, welcome. We, we all need a catharsis now and then. Enjoy <laughs> yourself. <laughs> Thank you so much. Well, Dennis, why don't you take a, a minute before we kind of get into the nitty gritty of what we're going to talk about and just tell our audience a little bit about yourself. Well, family history basically was uh, in law enforcement and all of those kinds of things. And I've always had, I I didn't follow that family career. I went into advertising and public relations and also really started a whole series of things about personal safety for women. And we can get into that a little bit later on. And I run workshops and seminars on all of those various topics around the country. And I was going along with all of that, and in, let's see, 2012, I went back from my routine physical, and my doctor said to me, you know, your PSA's been elevating a little bit, maybe you should see a urologist. I came back, and I talked to my wife about it, and she said, for God's sakes, go. So I went in, uh, they did some testing, and came back and said, yep, you have prostate cancer. And that was quite a shock, because I had been going every year for physicals, but I didn't know the correct questions to ask. And in in effect, my wife had no idea on what prostate cancer is and its implications in a family or what it can do. So it was a a journey for us. Yeah. And very quickly what I did is I started looking around, and I found there were organizations that dealt with research on prostate cancer. Mm -hmm. I found there were organizations that dealt with men who had it, But what we discovered is there was nobody in that middle ground talking to men between the ages of 30 and 60 about what they should be doing. And I looked at Susan G. Coleman, and I said, Mm -hmm. here's an organization that helps women understand what to look for. Yeah. And there's nothing like that on the men's side. So I said, we're going to form a company, a foundation called the National Prostate Cancer Awareness Foundation. So that's it in a nutshell. Well, that's, you know, it's, that's really good because it is those missing pieces that we all try to, you know, we need to try to find a way to fill that void. And that's kind of how Breast Friends started. The, the piece that was missing is the friends and family didn't know how to support their loved ones. And that's actually why we started because it was, you know, we found a lot of women were going through cancer alone because people would say, well, if there's anything I can do to help you, let me know. Sounds good, but it's very ineffective. So we, we started our organization kind of on that same thing, what's missing. And so congratulations to you for doing, for doing that. So let's kind of get into the nitty gritty of this and tell us, now I know you've mentioned, you know, in some other things that I read about you, that there are seven ways that prostate cancer can impact women. Can you tell us about that? Well, there's a, there's a whole bunch of ways, and seven sounds like a good number, but there are actually quite a few. <laughs> okay. I, I think, you know, anytime you hear somebody who has cancer, you're, uh, and all of us have the immediate reaction of, you know, how can I help you and support you? And that's fine and good, but there's nothing like someone saying to you, you have, pro- you have cancer, and you've been there, and you know exactly what it does. It's a totally different dimension. And yeah. so the first impact, certainly, of prostate cancer is that whole shock of the diagnosis. It comes out of, out of the blue. When you think about probably about 20% of men, maybe 30% of men even understand they have a prostate or what it is. Suddenly, they're now hearing about this, this disease, and it's a shock to them and to their spouses <clears throat> or significant others. The second thing that you run into is depression. Oh, my God, I've got cancer. How do I handle this? What do I do with it? And it's depression throughout the entire family when when that particular thing happens. 
The next yeah. thing that you're faced with, you know, when you go to a doctor um, and you say that I'm not feeling well, they'll say, well, go, you know, we'll sign you for physical therapy or you'll get some aspirin or let me give you a shot. And you have a whole bunch of options and the doctor says, here is your cure path. But when you're dealing with prostate cancer and you're dealing with a disease, disease prostate or breast cancer, you're given a series of options. Would you like to do A or B or C? And here mm-hmm. you are sitting, you and your wife or significant other, you're sitting in a room going, what decisions do I make? And you're the yeah. most uninformed decision makers in the room about your life. And, you know, when the doctor calls you up and says, uh, Dennis, we just got the results of your test back. Why don't you and your wife come down and we'll have an appointment? Well, the amount of anxiety is incredible. It is, and, and and we always hope that if that conversation does happen, that they're able to get you in right away, because that waiting period with all that anxiety is not good for anybody, so we always try to encourage patients when they get that call, see if you can go in that same day, if at all possible. Yeah, it, it would be nice, but I'll tell you, in my particular case, it was a week later. And, uh, was it, it really? It wow. Was pretty tough. The, yeah. the other thing that happens, too, is what is the implications of this for your sex life? Uh, both male and female, what what is going to be happening here? Uh, and I've I've I speak continually to, to men and to women's groups around the country. And one of the questions is what what's going to happen after surgery or after radiation or any of these other types of treatments? What will mm-hmm. that mean for us? Mm-hmm. And what does that do too for intimacy uh, mm-hmm. beyond sex? What what is the intimacy in that relationship? Is it going to strain that relationship mm-hmm. in some way? Uh, on on both sides. Yeah. Well, Dennis, one. before you move on from that, yeah, can ahead. I ask you a question? Sure. What what does it? How does it impact that? You know, I I know a lot of I've known a lot of men that have had prostate cancer, and but it's something that we never talk about. You know, so I don't know, and I'm going to guess a lot of our listeners probably don't know. Does it impact that in a major way? And what can be done about it? Well, it can. Um, with whatever treatment you have, it's going to change because the prostate uh, is both a muscle and a gland, and it okay. controls a, a lot of things down there. And so things are going to change after it. Intimacy is going to be different. Uh, in terms of sexual satisfaction, it's going to be a little bit different. And okay. it's adjusting to that. And I'll tell you, I've spoken with men who have been diagnosed and told they need surgery, and the fear of impotence, uh, impotence rather, is such that they say to me, I'm not having any surgery, I'm not having any radiation, it's not oh, a serious wow. disease. Wow. You know, and I hear that often. Huh. I wonder what percentage of men actually make that decision. I'm shocked at the number of men uh, huh. who uh, really don't want to move forward and are really concerned about uh, their sex lives more than anything else. And typically, even when men have surgery, the first thing they, they suggest, they say is that, you know, I'll have the surgery, I'm not worried about anything else. And then after surgery, then they start saying, oh my God, I didn't realize. Some of the uh-huh. national studies that look at intimacy following prostate surgery uh, indicate that a lot of men are sorry they did it. So those have some significant implications. Yeah, interesting. Um, okay, so I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt your flow no, there, but no. I just had to ask that question. So, the, the so carry too, on. <laughs> the other thing, too, is research. I mean, you're told you have this disease, so do you do surgery? Do you do radiation? Uh, if, you, if a disease comes back, what are some of the clinical trials that are out there? What can be done? And I've gone to meetings where I've seen women come in with their husbands, and they've got three-ring binders with them that are probably four or five inches thick with all of the paperwork that's all involved in trying to track this disease, trying to see what the implications are, what the financial implications are, uh, what tests are available, and it, it becomes a tremendous burden uh, all the way through. Mm-hmm. Something else within that, too, is how do you cope with it? And I talk, there's both active coping with the disease, and then there's what I would call avoidance coping. Let's not talk about this. Uh, Outside, out of mind kind of thing, huh? Right, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Out of mind, and, you know, and, and the recurrence does happen. Uh, there are a number of men, myself included, who, are, who have a recurrence, even after successful surgery. So it's a, it's a condition. So 
those are just some of the ways, and we've we've covered more than seven, believe me. Uh, <laughs> so, is is but, that last thing you mentioned? Is that what you refer to when you talk about the wall of silence that surrounds well, men and health, or is that something yeah, else? Yeah. The, the wall of silence is kind of interesting. You know, I, I always like to say that men men think differently than women. Uh, you may have noticed that men and women look different, right? I've noticed that over the years. <laughs> yeah, the so other most thing, do, yeah. <laughs> the other thing that, that's interesting is that men have a tendency to to think, if you will, in silos about things. And if I don't think about it, if I don't talk about it, It'll go away. Mm-hmm. And if you say to you know younger men uh, anything about um, their sexual performance, they're very proud to talk about it when they're younger. But mm-hmm. if there's any issues below the belt line, we're very reluctant to say anything because for many men, it's a uh, sense that it's a it's an attack on their masculinity. Uh, okay. uh, it is a it's an issue that I don't it's an embarrassment and I choose to ignore it and I can't tell you the again the number of men who say yeah yeah I, I've had some issues but yeah it's not it's not serious I don't need to worry about it right so that that constant uh, kind of approach so and it's very common and in different communities it's different we can certainly get into that at some point. Yeah, okay. Well, listen, we are actually at the spot of our first break. So when we come back from our break and we ask you to stay tuned with us, we're going to pick up this conversation. There is a lot more to talk about. And I think that this has just been a fascinating conversation so far. Um, And I can't wait to hear what the connection is with men and breast cancer. So we'll get to that next. So stay tuned. We'll be back in a minute. And I hope you're enjoying the show. A fresh look at today's health. Voice America Health & Wellness. Thank you for listening today. Breast Friends needs your support. We rely on donations to keep our doors open and to keep this radio program alive. Please consider making a tax-deductible donation to Breast Friends. You can visit us at breastfriends.org. You can also like us on Facebook at Breast Friends of Oregon. Be sure to tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel every Friday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time for Breast Friends Cancer Support Radio. Visit breastfriends.org and contribute today. When a woman is diagnosed with cancer, she faces unique challenges. No one understands this better than the experts at Compass Oncology. Our women's cancer program includes a team of specialists in breast and gynecologic cancers, genetic testing, and the ongoing care of women with high risk factors. From targeted therapies and clinical trials to needed emotional support, Compass is a leader in treating women's cancer. Find out more at compassoncology.com. When was the last time you felt free? It's time to uncover that feeling again with the compassion of a cross and shield and the power of a card that opens doors to the best hospitals and medical centers in all 50 states. Giving you the freedom to love, to dream, to dance like no one is watching. Regions Blue Cross Blue Shield. Live fearless. Opinions, options, answers. Voice America Health and Wellness. You are tuned into Breast Friends Cancer Support Radio. To reach the program today, please call us at 1 866 472 5792. Again, that's 1 866 472 5792. You may also send an email to Becky at breastfriends.org. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to our program. We've been talking about the relationship between breast and prostate cancer with our guest, Dennis Golden. And we were right in the middle of a great conversation when we had to take a break. So I'm going to just kind of go back to that, Dennis, a little bit. And I'm going to ask ask you, what role does the prostate play in a man's life and what medical issues face all men? 
Can, well, can we talk about the that? The prostate really is, a, is a, as I said earlier, both an organ and a, and a muscle. And mm-hmm. its purpose really is to provide the, the fluid, if you will, for sexual intercourse. Okay. And it is a, uh, men can start having problems with prostates as soon as they become sexually active. Uh, oh. And that is called prostatitis, which is an infection of the prostate. And as men get older, uh, the prostate increases in size. And at some particular point, probably after the age of 40, it starts to enlarge to a point, and it really depends on on the individual man, but it can enlarge to a point where it can begin to constrict the flow of urine coming out of the bladder. Oh, and, so it can uh, really uh, impact a lot a of things. It a very difficult situation. Yeah. What is BPH? I've heard that, but I don't really know what those initials mean. I feel silly. I should probably know, but I don't. Prostate hypoplasia, which okay. is basically a fancy way to say that the prostate is getting larger. Okay. And, and as I said, the, the urethra flows through that, through that gland, and as that clamps down, and the problem with, with that is that a lot of the symptoms for prostate cancer and symptoms for BPH or even prostatitis all are basically the same. And what you find with most men is they'll tend to ignore it, and they're going to try to macho through it. And uh, that really yeah. is not a very good idea because you don't know what is causing the issue you're having. As I said earlier, guys don't like to talk about issues below the belt line. And as soon as issues start to occur, it's, you know, let's reach for the super beta prostate or let's reach for whatever is out there in hopes that it will go away and I don't want mm-hmm. to talk about it. And an enlarged prostate doesn't necessarily mean prostate cancer, right? I mean, could it be caused no, from other no, things? No, it doesn't. Uh, you can have an enlarged prostate uh, and never have prostate cancer. Your okay. PSA or prostate-specific antigen test can be rising, and you may not have prostate cancer. So um, it's a it's one of these diseases that doesn't have a lot of symptoms. You have the vast majority of men and women really don't know what to look for and as a result tend to ignore it. And that's one of the reasons we're trying to get women so heavily involved because almost every man I talk to, and then we visit with hospitals and, and talk to them all the time in groups, and it's when I say to them, what got you here? And the hands go up and they say, my wife got me here because the <laughs> yes. men refuse to go. Yeah, that's really good. Yeah. Well, we get them there however we can, right? Because that's important. (laughs) So I I heard that, you know, one in, they say one in eight women will get breast cancer. I heard one in five men will get prostate cancer. Is that correct? That is correct. And depending upon what study, you know, you're involved in, several years ago, uh, there was uh, numbers were coming out and saying that, Oh, probably 230,000 men a year in the United States who get prostate cancer. Wow. Uh, then what occurred is the U.S. Preventative Services Task Force, which is a group of volunteers that make recommendations on care and treatment uh, prevention mm-hmm. programs for all diseases, said, you know, men don't need to really be worried about this test because it causes <sighs> a lot of stress. And magically, the number of new cases coming out went from 230,000 down to about 160,000. Yeah, because they're not what, testing anymore. Yeah, they're not the testing same anymore. And now, for example, the uh, VA was one of the first groups that uh, went for that very, very quickly. The VA now, 10 years later, is finding that the, the number of prostate cancer cases coming in and the uh, how severe they are is significant. So much yeah. to the point that uh, the United uh, U.S. Preventative Task Force is now modifying their recommendations somewhat. So you you have a disease that is there that needs to be looked at, and uh, it's uh, not being done by a lot of people. Well, I'm glad you're having some success with getting them to revisit that because that's the same task force that's trying to uh, make the recommendation that women don't need mammograms until the age of 50, and then every two years after that. And Sharon and I, as the co-founders of Breast Friends, got involved in a task force back in Washington, D.C. to try to fight that. And I haven't done an update lately to see where we're at on that, but I know there was a moratorium for two years, which is going to run out in January, and I need to kind of figure that out. So I might have to call you offline and pick your brain how you guys did that so anyway um yeah they have a lot of a lot of pull apparently well let me ask you um I, there was a, a, a statement that i heard it says that prostate cancer is not serious and that men die often with it but not of it 
how deadly is prostate cancer? Um, depending upon, like, like any cancer, it comes in various degrees and, and okay. um, flavors, if you will. And okay. while people say men don't die of prostate cancer, you have about 30,000 men a year dying of prostate cancer in the United States. Before the U.S. Preventative Services Task Force made those changes, the projections were that you would go from 230,000 men to almost 400,000 men with prostate cancer, and that the mortality rates would go from 30 to 60,000. Wow. So when you start thinking about that, it, there's some fairly large numbers. So it can be a very slow-moving disease and not have an impact and can be watched with something called active surveillance where they're just watching it to see if it's an issue, or it needs to be treated. The problem is that you need to go in, you need to talk to the doctor, you need to understand what's going on rather than uh, silence. And In fact, one of, one of our theme lines is silence is not a cure when it comes to prostate cancer, and so many men are silent. And that's why yeah. we're trying to get the women so heavily involved in this, is to get out and talk to men, talk to the men in your lives. I can't tell you, uh, one, of, one of my business partners was diagnosed with prostate cancer in his 40s. He was shocked, and he was talking to his mother and said, I was just diagnosed with prostate cancer. He said, oh, your dad had that years ago. Don't worry about it. Oh, my. There's a myth that prostate cancer is the good cancer, and therefore don't worry about it. And Mm. that's not really true in all cases. The trouble is you don't know which one you are. That's right. And it's the same thing with breast cancer, you know, when... It's true. It is true that more women survive breast cancer than ever before because of all the research and the early detection and the emphasis. And and we do applaud Komen for that focus on early detection because they're the ones that kind of brought breast cancer out of the closet. But it's it, it's critical that we that we catch it early. And but there are still people that you know women that die from this. And I'll, I'll never forget this man. I was in a conversation with a man about breast cancer and when he heard I was a a breast cancer survivor he said oh just breast cancer he goes nobody dies from that anymore and I just wanted to kind of take him by the shirt collar and slap him (laughs) you know know, it's it's that's just not true but I wish it were true that no one died from breast cancer anymore and I'm sure that that you feel the same way about men with prostate cancer, but yes, we do still lose men and women to these diseases, and and it's critical that people know. Let me ask you a question that I, I didn't actually add on my list here of things I wanted to ask you about, but it just occurred to me. What are this? I mean, if a man has symptoms that get him into the doctor, besides an enlarged prostate, that might be one reason that you go in. Is it something you can feel? And then are there other symptoms, things that men should look for that would help them know, you know, I should probably go to the doctor. It's like with a woman and breast cancer, you feel a lump. Um, sometimes, well, sometimes the, the you don't. The problem but. with men is, uh, and we have several white papers and, and on this type of thing as well. The trouble with men is you say you need to go to the doctor. I don't feel sick. I don't feel anything. Yeah, I'm having some problems with urination, but it's not, not a big issue. At my age, I expect it. I don't have a doctor. Uh, doctors are a waste of time. So you get all of that type of thing that, that occurs, and it's very difficult to get men in to see a doctor, where women tend to be going to a physician's office on a more regular basis. Sure. As I said earlier, they tend to be more outspoken. Uh, you know, I always say a woman's brain is sort of like a ball of wire. It's all connected in so many areas, and you're, you're getting in information in so many ways and, and relating with other people and talking. And the guys, as I said earlier, are sort of in the silo thinking that I'm going to be in this particular uh, mindset, and I'm not going to do anything else. And uh, mm-hmm. that's why it's, it's so important for the women to get involved. So when you say problems with urination, let's go back to that for a minute sure. because um, what kind be, of problems? Uh, Is it blockage? Multiple times or? at night uh, getting up, and uh, okay. I've known some men who were getting up eight and nine times a night uh, and say, well, it's just normal. So that okay. might be one point. It might be painful urination. It might okay. be slow flow, very slow flow, where somebody is standing there for quite some time trying to pass, and they just accept that as part of life. And uh, it, that can be a sign of prostate cancer. It can be a sign of prostatitis. It can be a sign of BPH. So okay. it, uh, it really depends on what, uh, what's happening. And no one knows until you go in and see a physician. Right. It's very true. So how does prostate cancer 
connect to breast cancer? Let, let's kind of jump to that because sure. I know well, this is a big part of what you talk about. One of the things that, and this is the American Cancer Society and a number of organizations is saying that, you know, there's some evidence, and while no one knows what the cause of prostate cancer is, they're saying and some of them they think may be diet-related, but there's also some evidence out there that says that it might be along family lines, so it okay. might be genetic. And mm-hmm. if that's the case, if you have a male member in your family who has prostate cancer, the statistics are saying that about 17 to 20% of women whose uh, father or grandfather, uh, brother, uh, et cetera, has prostate cancer may be more inclined to be more apt to, uh, to get uh, uh, breast cancer. Okay. If that is combined with you are a female, you have a female in your, in your uh, family line that has breast cancer, you have a male in your family line that has prostate cancer, your opportunity to, if you will, be impacted by breast cancer rises almost to 70%. Wow. So it, there is a very strong link, and yet it's one that people aren't aware of. It's nothing to be alarmed about in terms of the 17%, but it's something you should be looking. Uh, in the same way that if a male has prostate cancer, you, you want to talk to your son about it. You want to talk to your grandsons about it. It's the okay. same thing. There's a, a family line there that needs to be looked at. It's the same genetics being passed down. Yeah. Um, and how it impacts us is different between uh, both, both, uh, species, uh, both sexes. You know, it's kind of an interesting thing because when I was first diagnosed with breast cancer, I went in for a routine mammogram, and that's when they detected something that looked a little abnormal, and they wouldn't let me leave until they looked at it a bunch more times. But I remember when they asked me the question, do you have anybody in your family that's had breast cancer? I said no, because I didn't know. You know, there was a time when this was all hush-hush and nobody talked about it. Well, I found out my mom was diagnosed after me, and God love her. She said, I didn't know I could get this from you, (laughs) which was my mother's (laughs) sense of humor. But it turns out that it was pretty rampant on my dad's side. And I didn't know because, you know, we just didn't talk about it back then. And, And it turns out his mom, you know, my grandmother had breast cancer. Uh, she didn't die from breast cancer. She it was something else, but but she had breast cancer in her sometime along the way. And then her daughter, my dad's sister, she had breast cancer twice. I didn't know that either. And it was it was after my diagnosis that and then my cousin got diagnosed with breast cancer. And it was kind of through that that we started to put the pieces together. And I realized I actually do have quite a family history of breast cancer. I'm guessing the same thing may true, be true of men with prostate cancer. There may be a grandparent or an uncle that you don't even know had it. How do we... How do you ask that question? Was it, I mean, I suppose you just say, was anybody in our family ever diagnosed with prostate cancer? I, I guess well, that's... Even with that, you'll find men won't speak up about it. One of the pharmaceutical companies that we do some work with did a worldwide study on prostate cancer, and even men who had fully metastasized prostate cancer and were in pain were not willing to share information to their physicians or to nurses. So it's it's a whole macho thing. It's a whole... Uh, if I say that I've got it, I appear to be weak. Mm-hmm. So okay. that's the the, the the side of it that, that's, that's very difficult. And that's why, again, if we can you know, have women who are saying to their husbands or saying to their family members, go get checked, you need to get checked. These are, these are important yeah. things. Yeah. You know, I know in breast cancer, they've kind of, they, they started out by identifying two gene mutations. That's the BRCA1 and BRCA2, which, you know, is, is the gene mutation that's passed from generation to generation. Is right. there a known gene mutation with prostate cancer? That there, It's the same, same situation. The genes are passed the same way. Uh, okay. And uh, I don't want to get too deep into that because I'm, I'm not a medical professional. Okay. But everything that I've been reading on it is saying you, there is a gene line that they are suspecting uh, okay. can be uh, responsible for, for it in families. And you do find uh, many times that within a family you'll have several men Several brothers, all diagnosed at the same time, or pretty close. I, wow. One fellow I was just with uh, last week, he was diagnosed with prostate cancer, and his brother out uh, on the West Coast was diagnosed the same day. And uh, mm-hmm. again, when they talked to their mother, they said, oh, yeah, your dad had that. 
So it's a, interesting. Men still don't want to talk about it. And the thing that we find, they don't want to talk about it before they get it, but once they get it, we're able to get men to talk about it. Mm-hmm. And the problem is the younger men. It's, it's that, that's why we did the whole awareness thing. It's the guys from 30 to 60 is who we're trying to get before they have the disease. And the youngest case I know of a prostate cancer is a young man who's 28 years of age. And the only reason they found that his physician uh, did a PSA test by mistake on, the, on his medical form. And when it came back, it showed it was positive. And they went oh, from there. Had some mistake, huh? Malaria, he would have never known. Wow. That's kind of scary. It's an old man's disease. It really is. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, we, we hear that with breast cancer, too. I mean, we know women in their 20s that are diagnosed with breast cancer, and it's, it's not supposed to be that way, but it is. There's just no, there's just no telling. So um, I know we're going to go out to break shortly here, but I want to ask you one more question. I know that can it be a lifestyle thing? I mean, not, not all breast cancer that runs in family is a hereditary link. And just to kind of put a different spin on that, if you have a family of smokers and they all get lung cancer, it's not because it's hereditary, it's because they all smoke. Is prostate right. cancer, is there a lifestyle connection to prostate cancer? There, there's a lot of smoke and mirrors around it, and uh, the, if you look at, for example, people who are from the Far East, uh, the incidence of prostate cancer out there with diet is quite low. In okay. areas where there's heavy uh, meat consumption, consumption of sugar, cancer okay. goes up dramatically. So here in the United okay. States, cancer rates are higher. Uh, for prostate cancer, the same thing in Europe. And when you look at uh, the, the eastern countries, uh, mm-hmm. China, Japan, prostate cancer is uh, significantly lower in those areas. Okay. So it could be lifestyle. Uh, certainly, okay. we all know that alcohol is not anybody's friend and sugar is not anyone's friend when yeah. it comes to cancer. <laughs> Yeah, well, this is really, really good information. Dennis, we're going to take another quick break. We'll be back in a minute. Stay tuned. Step into a healthier you. Voice America Health & Wellness. Thank you for listening today. Breast Friends needs your support. We rely on donations to keep our doors open and to keep this radio program alive. Please consider making a tax-deductible donation to Breast Friends. You can visit us at breastfriends.org. You can also like us on Facebook at Breast Friends of Oregon. Be sure to tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel every Friday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time for Breast Friends Cancer Support Radio. Visit breastfriends.org and contribute today. When a woman is diagnosed with cancer, she faces unique challenges. No one understands this better than the experts at Compass Oncology. Our women's cancer program includes a team of specialists in breast and gynecologic cancers, genetic testing, and the ongoing care of women with high risk factors. From targeted therapies and clinical trials to needed emotional support, Compass is a leader in treating women's cancer. Find out more at compassoncology.com. When was the last time you felt free? It's time to uncover that feeling again with the compassion of a cross and shield and the power of a card that opens doors to the best hospitals and medical centers in all 50 states. Giving you the freedom to love, to dream, to dance like no one is watching. Regions Blue Cross Blue Shield. Live fearless. Opinions, options, answers. Voice America Health and Wellness. You are tuned into Breast Friends Cancer Support Radio. To reach the program today, please call us at 1 866 472 5792. Again, that's 1 866 472 5792. You may also send an email to Becky at breastfriends.org. Now, back to the show. 
Welcome back to our program. We've been talking about the relationship between breast and prostate cancer with our guest, Dennis Golden. And Dennis, I have a couple more questions before we kind of move on to where we're going to talk about your organization and your book and some fun things there. But tell me, would you talk about the PSA test? I know we've all heard about it. Men need to go in and have their PSA checked. What is it specifically? What are they? What is it measuring? And what does it tell a man? Well, a PSA test is a uh, prostate-specific antigen test, and the prostate produces, uh, if you will, a fluid that can be measured, and that is throughout the body. And typically, one of, one of the, the controversy with it is that a PSA level can uh, go up and down and does not necessarily indicate cancer. It doesn't okay. can indicate any number of things, but it doesn't necessarily indicate cancer. So a man goes in and his PSA is up, and the doctor says, gee, your PSA is up, you should get tested. Well, maybe not. Let's wait another month and see what it is, or another six months. So PSA was never intended to predict cancer. What it was intended to do was to show a timeline. When I go and I speak to groups of people, you know, I'll say to men, uh, many times, um, you know, and, and, they'll, and I'll say, how many miles do you have on your car? And they'll, they'll be able to raise their hand within about a 1,000 miles. And then I say to them, how many of you can tell me what your PSA number has been and what its velocity has been over the past five years? And there's silence. Nobody knows what I was going to say, is. I'll bet not a clue. <laughs> not yeah. a clue. So they sit there and I say to them, which number is more important? What is going on with your PSA? or, you know, what's going on in the miles in your car. So the concept here, and in my own case, too, my doctor was always saying to me, yeah, your PSA is normal, you're in the normal range. But what he never told me and what I never knew to ask, nor my wife knew to ask me to find out, was what is happening with that PSA? Is it on a constant march to go up? Is it rising and falling? Is it increasing over time? So the PSA test is controversial. Uh, mm-hmm. It's not 100% accurate, but it gives an indication. And I think if men recognize the fact that this is giving you sort of a, an ongoing timeline, something to be aware of. And uh, in my own case, I had no idea what velocity was. Yeah. Okay. So that gives you some idea. And I'm guessing that, that the range of what is considered normal for a PSA test to, to fall within can be different for different people. And maybe you run at the low end normally. So if you suddenly run at the high end of normal, that's different for you. And that's why it's good to probably have it tested periodically, not just once, because you don't well, know it's okay. normal for you. Is that, well, is that correct? A couple of things with that. You can have a PSA that's very low but rising very quickly. So mm-hmm. you're in the low numbers, but it's rising rapidly. That's a warning sign. Uh, okay. I know men who have had prostate cancer, uh, and their PSA was a, was a 2.5. I've known men that had prostate cancer, and it was a 1.5. I've known men that had prostate cancer was an 8. Mm, uh, so okay. it really depends on that velocity, what's happening over this period of time. You see a rapid rise. A lot of doctors will tell you, uh, don't worry until it gets to 2.5. And what we generally recommend to men is if you're seeing an elevation and you're seeing a consistent elevation, go see a urologist. Find out what's going on. Very good advice. You know, and, and we really need to be our own best advocates because if we're not taking care of ourselves, nobody's going to take care of it for us. So that's really, really, this is great conversation, Dennis. I really appreciate it. Let me ask you one other question. So if a wife, is there anything a wife can say that might motivate her husband to, if she noticed that he's getting up in the middle of the night a million times or he's, you know, moaning when he's go, trying to use the restroom because it hurts how can she get him to go in and get checked it's so critical yeah one of the things that we say i always say to men is you know as a family man what is your what is your most important what do you feel is your most important obligation and they'll all say what's to provide for my family and to protect my family Mm -hmm. the next question i ask is and if you have a serious disease that's going to kill you how are you going to provide for your family why don't you go get checked Good point. Very good. And it's, right. the, the light goes on. It's like, oh, okay. I, I think the yeah. biggest thing with men is what I refer to as fear the finger. 
they don't like to get a, a digital examination. That's not a computer, by the way. Fear the finger. They, I love that. They, 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 they don't like that at all. Yeah. And then I say, yeah. for God's sakes, look at what women go through. And you're yeah. worried about, uh, you know, a 10-second test. For God's sakes, man up. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I you can that. do that, you can do it too. You know? <laughs> yeah, love that. And I think well, you have to keep it a little bit light with them too, you know. Yeah, yeah. Just kind of joke with them to get them in, whatever it takes, you know. Exactly. Maybe you could bribe them with their favorite meal if they go get this done or something else. I don't know. <laughs> well, I've, I've hey. known women who have made appointments and taken their husbands in to get tested. <laughs> <laughs> Honey, you're doing this whether you like it or not. Right. Well, you know, let's talk about the effect of finances because I know with any cancer diagnosis, treatment is expensive. Insurance copays seem to kind of be changing and what what happens with with workplace and finances when it relates to prostate? Can you work through prostate cancer? Well, there's a, a number of things with, with finances in the workplace. Um, if any of your listeners are, you know, interested, if they send a, t- send a text message to 72,72000, and then where it says, what is the message, put in the single word prostate, and then hit send. And what they will get back is my smiling face saying, do you want to find out the implications and the cost of prostate cancer in the workplace? And so it's the cost of, work, of, of prostate cancer in the workplace, both for the employer and for the employee. Oh, okay. And the cost of devastating. And most of the wellness programs that are run at the major corporations, when I go in and I speak and I say, do you have a wellness program? And I say, yes. I say, what do you have for prostate cancer? And there's silence. So mm-hmm. that's one aspect of it. So from the, the ability to, for a company to save money, the ability for an individual family member to save money uh, is, is significant uh, in terms of medical cost. Once you start to get into uh, treatments for prostate cancer, the ability to find uh, you know, clinical trials, the ability to do all of those things, trying to find out about cost coverage is a significant problem. I mentioned earlier women coming in with three-ring binders that are four or five inches thick with all of the paperwork involved. And there's a tremendous amount of tracking and reporting and form-filling out and providing financial information, do you, you know, uh, qualify for this particular research? Do you qualify for these particular grants and, and help? And it's a, it's a very, very uh, difficult situation depending upon um, how much research you're doing and how involved uh, the disease is becoming mm. with you. Okay, so let me ask you this question too. What age, now you mentioned this this young man, I think you said he was 28, who found out because he accidentally got his PSA tested. Right. What age should a man get his first PSA test? And, and I'm asking that because women, you know, we talk about our baseline mammogram. We want to go in before we have issues so we can compare a healthy mammogram to a not so healthy mammogram. And they, they look for those subtle differences. Does a PSA test kind of do the same thing, and should a man go in and get a baseline test so they know what's normal for them? A couple of things. First of all, if, if you have no prostate cancer in your family, generally the recommendation is about age 40. Okay. If you are an African-American male or if you have any family history of prostate cancer, I would suggest and we generally recommend somewhere in your late 30s start thinking about going in okay. and getting a baseline. And from that point on, then you can make the decision how you want to proceed from there. PSA testing um, is, is pretty accurate in terms of being able to see if anything's in your bloodstream. Uh, right now, for example, there's an ultra-sensitive test they give to men who have already had a pro- their prostate removed. And if the cancer is starting to spread, that ultra-sensitive test can, can tell way in advance that that cancer is returning and therefore additional treatment can be done. I know of no other cancer where that type of treatment or that type of screening can be done. So the PSA test, the ultra-sensitive, is a significant advancement, and more and more doctors are using it now, particularly after there's been treatment. Wow. You know, we're, we're 
getting toward the end of our show, and there's just still so much to talk about. You mentioned <laughs> you mentioned just briefly African American men. If you have a family history or you're African American, you should get tested younger. Is there a higher incidence with African American men? There's a higher men? incidence of it, both with African Americans and Hispanic men. Uh, okay. There is also a situation where. Um, it's discovered generally at a much more advanced stage and much more difficult to treat. There's a greater reluctance uh, within certain communities of going to doctors, of trusting doctors. There's also economic issues as well. So okay. you combine those things together, and the incident and the severity of prostate cancer within the African-American community is great. It's one of the things that we talk about when we, we meet with corporations and their mm-hmm. wellness program is your African-American base of people that you have in your organization. Let us, let us include everyone within this, male and female, on the need to be aware of prostate cancer, breast cancer, in terms of wellness programs. Well, what I'm guessing that that's one of the things that your your organization does is you educate corporations. Why don't you just, because we're almost out of time, why don't you tell us very quickly, what does PCA Aware do to educate and motivate men? And, and yeah, just well, give us the elevator we pitch. Is we run workshops and seminars within corporations, within okay. large groups, where we're talking about trying to make men aware of the need, and the women on their lives, the need for men to go in and be tested and be aware of their wellness. That's really the basis of what we do. We do it in workshops and seminars. We also do it online at our website, www.pcaaware.org. Uh, we go through all of that. Okay, I need them. you to say that again, and you can go slower. We're not that short on time. Okay. <laughs> so, it's pcaaware.org. And okay. you can go in there. So, there will be articles on prostate cancer awareness and the need to be tested. Uh, okay. We also always invite people. The biggest thing that we need, uh, like any organization, if there are women's groups that are involved with breast cancer, we mm-hmm. ask try to get involved with us also in this fight against prostate cancer, whether it's a run that you're doing or a, or a fundraising event. See if there are funds within that that can be also given to prostate cancer awareness. You can certainly come to our website. And right there will say donate, and I will tell you that we obje- we don't have any objections to anyone who wants to donate to to the cause uh, okay. in terms of uh, prostate cancer awareness. Excellent. Well, tell me quickly about your book. I know you wrote a book, and I want to hear just very quickly about that. You've got about sixty seconds. Well, the book was written uh, the vast majority of women, and this was really done for. Uh, the organization called I Am Safe, and it was all about women's personal safety and the majority of women worry about attack from a stranger on the street or, or that type of a situation. Happens about 5% of the time. Really what women need to be concerned about is the other 90%, and the book, mm-hmm. which is called What to Know, Do and Say to Be Safe, is a woman's guide to personal safety, and we really in the book go through and talk about the many ways women can defend themselves using uh, deflection, using uh, what we might refer to as verbal judo to defend themselves and not uh-huh. get involved in a situation that okay. requires it be taken to the next step. So, so this sounds like a whole different um, different direction from PCA work because this is really about personal safety, not not about the cancer Journey, Absolutely. Uh, that was okay. all about the whole concept of personal safety. That was the original book that was done for okay. that. We we're currently talking about doing a book on prostate cancer as well. Okay. How can they get a copy? You, very uh, quickly. You can go to Amazon and uh, put in uh, what to know, do, and say to be safe. Okay. And that will come right up, and you can buy it either as a book or as a Kindle version. All right, excellent. Well, this has been a wonderful interview. Dennis, we got to go. We're, we need to get off the air here. So I just want to thank all of our listeners, and we encourage you to subscribe to our, our show and our network so you can be aware of anything that we've got going on. And we will be back next week. Until then, remember, there is always hope, and we're here to help you find it. Thank you for listening to Breast Friends Cancer Support Radio. Please join Sharon Hannafin and Becky Olson again next Friday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 
10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. There is always hope, and we'll help you find it. We'll talk again next time. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America.